0: Lucky you, 36 Best Holes in golf. Shots Golf, Barney's Army, where we talk about Sandy. golf, poker,
1: James Bond,
0: horse racing, double, classic movies, Zenyatta, we have no script,
1: down the stretch they come, we are
0: glad you joined us.
1: Thank me, my dear, I don't give a damn.
0: <laughs> hey, Billy Regan. Hey, Bobby Williams. We have the original Billy Beru on the podcast today. How excited is this?
1: Billy Baru, I got my own Billy Baru. <laughs>
0: He's got one behind him. Is that your wedge or your is your favorite putter behind you, Billy? It's one of those uh, weighted sticks. Yeah, I have one too. It's very good at leaning up against the wall. And that's about all I've got out of it since I paid 150 bucks for it.
2: But uh, his home swing has never been better.
1: <laughs> Not to be too formal, but let's introduce Billy O'Keefe, a good friend and a longtime member at Wingfoot, past president. For all of you guys out there who don't know who this is, you'll learn now hmm
0: he's also chili dipped it on this screen. I saw him, but then Neil saved your ass and made four in the member member, right? You have some memory, man. That is so I have awesome. an encyclopedic memory, but it was great.
2: Yeah, I, I chili one dipped, one dipped it and uh Eric, the little cat, he wanted me to put it. I go, gotta put it and hit a wedge. I hit it about 10 feet. And then Neil uh, dunked it in the hole.
0: yeah well listen Mickelson hit it nine feet well that was with a hybrid I played
1: around with you one day Billy I think you had 10 one puck greens
0: yeah you remember that day that was
2: I remember just Steve Mara when I hit number 10 he's like what
0: is going on you're not this good (laughs) how many in a row did you have
2: I don't know I think it was actually 11 and I remember uh the guy in the bag was this guy Chassie who now caddies down at MacArthur and uh I've had a couple rounds with him like that there. He, the guy's
0: just a magical green reader.
1: Hey, taking money from Steve is always nice. Yeah,
0: it was a good day. We did ask Hank Malfa in our one of our earlier episodes how Ron Honig managed to win the member the, the senior club championship and the regular club championship in the same year. And he said he had Bobby Collins on his bag. <laughs> he was the best green reader at the club. But Honig was had an amazing short game, though, didn't he?
1: So how, how long ago did you get to Wingfoot? How did you get here?
2: Yeah. Um, I, got to, I joined as a full member in 1990. I was in a, a preferred associate in uh, 87. And somebody said like once, like recently, like how many times could you play as a preferred associate? I said, it depended on how much you, you tipped pack.
1: <laughs> I think uh, uh, technically it was six times a month and two weekend days or something yeah. like that.
2: But no, I, don't I don't think anybody was counting back then.
1: No. Um, well, Pat.
2: was. And, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, my my wife Kathy Liebenguth, is, is her maiden name. Her parents uh, belonged to uh, Wingfoot, so she was, you know, she didn't grow up there because she didn't really play golf. But uh, you know, Bobby knows her parents and her. Uh, and I used to caddy at, uh, you know, Wingfoot from uh, nineteen sixty eight to seventy three. Um, so you know, I would already always always known the club. I joined Westchester Country Club in eighty five, and then. Um, you know john dolan asked me if uh, i wanted to join wingford in 87 and which i definitely said yes so
0: so uh you were there did you caddy in a women's us open in 1972 i did who was, who was who did you get nobody memorable
1: she <laughs> was a uh Herda boykin you, you don't even was remember a, a <laughs>
2: massachusetts amateur I think she was like a school teacher or something and uh you know with a wealthy family so she she played a lot of amateur golf and she came down I'll I'll, I'll tell you two stories about her one was I mean I was in like 72 so I'm in ninth grade uh ninth grade summer and you know I was playing on Caddy's day and stuff but I didn't I didn't know anything you know I didn't know distances and the greens and stuff I mean just you know for what you picked up you know caddying but Nobody ever really asked you when you were a rabbit, um, you know, what you thought of this and that. And they used to have, Bobby, didn't they? Used to have, they used to have birch trees in every fairway at 150, right?
0: White birch trees that might or might not be 150 yards to the middle. Yeah. Moon.
2: <laughs> well, that was my kind of guideline. But when we started playing, we were playing the East, and on one East, she asked me, you know, seven or eight. I go, oh, good, multiple choice. I go, oh,
1: let's go with eight.
2: <laughs> and she actually was playing really good on the front nine and we got to the uh 10th hole and she said what do you think billy six or seven which shows you you know how far they were hitting it back then and you know, the, the tees are probably playing the white tees now and she was hitting six or seven iron into it and i said you got to go with six goes, well, you know she hits it into the on the fly into the clubhouse, and. Lester, who is an uh, older, long-time uh, for caddy with one arm, came walking by with one arm. He goes, downwind, my man,
1: downwind.
2: He <laughs> <laughs> didn't ask me uh, for any clubs after that.
0: There was uh, little information compared to what they have right now. Can you imagine? Were they even handing out yardage books back, no. back then to the pros? No, Billy. Just and- walked it off during the practice rounds, right? You walked it off you looked at those birch trees and you try to assimilate your player to say a 10 handicap at Wingfoot who might hit like uh, 200 yards on number uh, 10 and have a six or seven iron, right? Not, not a, not a Ron Honig who would bust it up by the trap and hit a wedge. Right. Yeah. You had to do that. And in the 74 open, I still remember we had to pace the side of the greens and the back of the greens each day to find the pin location. They didn't have pin sheets yeah those came out but they you saw 156 caddies walking out on thursday and friday at wingfoot it was ridiculous
1: plus you had to walk uphill both to and from the course to get there
0: (laughs) yeah well, billy (laughs) lived by sea level over there in the plush manor over there by the uh by the water so his uh, his walk was uphill right
2: yeah used to walk home from wingfoot when we caddied there and my parents would drop us off and say see you later you know, somebody's been us off. There was a bunch of kids in the manor uh looping at Lupin and Wingfoot uh, back in the day. And uh but you know, we'd hitchhike or walk home all the time. And, you know, it's a pretty that's a pretty healthy walk. Plus back then you had to, as a cat, you had to wear long pants and uh it was hot.
0: Did you cat any for any famous people that you remember back then?
2: I uh, you know, I had the Frank Giffords and Joe Gargiola's those guys, but I never really uh I never like hit the home run with Arnold Palmer or anything. Although one night, me and a Robbie McGarry, whose brother I think you interviewed a couple of years ago, Billy, he he was on Hale Irwin's bag, and Robbie was his older brother, was my best friend, and um, we stayed in the caddy shack down below. Again, we were in like ninth grade, playing cards till about eight thirty with these caddies that you know I don't know how old they were. They were probably forties and fifties or something. <laughs> and uh, when we got home, like really late, my parents were like, "Where were you?" And we had a range of stories. Said. We were sitting in the caddy yard. We were just about to leave, and Frank Gifford walks in with Arnold Palmer. So we caddied for Frank Gifford and Arnold Palmer. It was amazing. My parents were like, "Oh, that's unbelievable, stuff. That's great. You know, awesome." And you know, of course, you know Arnold Palmer was playing in some golf tournament that weekend. You know, and like I just it was like, Robbie's like, "I hope they I hope they're not watching TV."
0: <laughs> so you came up to Wingfoot in the uh, late uh, '60s and so forth. It was definitely different, right? The uh, you, You've you seen the conditions back then. Aren't the conditions today, kind of like over the last, say, several years, like they were back then? They were always seemed to me, in my mind, they were always kind of perfect.
2: Back in, back in the day, they were always perfect?
0: When when you and I were caddying back there, nobody ever complained about the golf course. They were always perfect. I don't know.
2: Yeah, I'm sure they're not as nice as today, but they seem on a relative basis back then that they were fine um you know i remember the greens being super fast back then i don't know if they rolled 12 or 13 like they can do today um you know steve in my history at uh, wingfoot you know is the best i've ever seen as far as consistently yeah. delivering uh results but um you know i don't remember back in the day i do remember you know how many more pine trees there were lying in the uh, the holes how many more trees are and you see that now when you See some of the pictures of the 74 open, how closed it looks compared to what it looks like right now.
0: Yeah, very closed and all due to Doc Gaylord, who had a tree farm and he was that who it was? I knew it was one member. Quote unquote gave Wingfoot. I'm sure he got a little something for it. But and then (laughs) and then some genius who wasn't Steve Rabido or anything close to Teddy Horton decided to plant them around and suffocate each hole.
1: All the courses were like that back then. And ten, ten or fifteen years now, they've been cleaning out a lot of trees. But people yeah, used to rave right about. Style. You got to play this course. You can't see one hole when you're on another hole.
2: Yeah that that was the uh, that was the style back then. Yeah. And Gil Hans said he goes, you know, really, literally, like a big part of any golf course renovation is taking down the trees that aren't supposed to be there.
1: Yeah, because they eat up the nutrients and they block the circulation. So. Yeah. I love trees, but they're they're they don't belong necessarily on every golf course any more than they do on an airplane runway. So
2: Yeah, I mean I think like Wingfoot, like when you're talking about like elm trees and stuff, that's one deal because there's obviously a beautiful tree and there's some classics there, but some of these other things that like pine trees that are I mean, some of the ugliest pine trees ever were at Wingfoot Club. <laughs> locust trees and, tree and one of the awesome. biggest. Yeah, I remember that. I mean I mean that, that thing on seventeen and that was a mute.
1: Yeah. It was ridiculous. Had like five, I, mean, I, don't know if
2: you're, I don't know if you guys were blown there. I was, I was, I think, i was kind of a new member then. Um, but when they were the Greens Committee and the board wanted to move the tree on the left side of one to the right side of one, it was a big tree that kind of hung over the fairway. In and West. they said, I think it was an oak or an There was a nice tree
0: right there on the corner where if you hit a 250 and you drew it, you were looking at it,
2: yeah. So, uh they voted like they put it to the membership in like the capital plan, like you know, and the membership voted it down and move it was too expensive to move the tree from one side to the other. So they just cut it down. <laughs>
0: <laughs> they waited till a very cold day in February. They
2: waited for the winter oh, to cut man. it down. I thought that was an awesome move.
1: I came uh, down in the storm, got chopped up and taken
0: yeah, out iota. Happen, yeah, You know, we often talk about that. The trees are great in certain places. Like in that situation, it basically Made it impossible for you to go at the green. You, the left. Nowadays, without that tree, you'd have a lie. You really didn't look at the lie. You'd look up and see if you had a window and you say, okay, I'm going to go for it. I'm going to take a hybrid out. Right. And then, like Phil Mickelson, you hit it eight feet along the ground. All right. And now you're hitting three from the same spot. So, Billy and I talk about this a lot. Reasonable rough and reasonable obstacles give that bunch of choices to people, to make the golf course hard.
2: Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm probably one of the few people that didn't miss the tree on 10 East after when it died. I mean, I, I used to hit lots of wedges into that tree, you know, hanging <laughs> around up there hoping it would come down straight.
0: <laughs> yeah, didn't a, we all? Yeah. So what what is your favorite hole?
2: Um, you know, I was look, I was watching uh, Ken Farreter. and I agree with him. I, mine is 15 West and 13 East. I mean, I love 15 West. I just think that's you know, such an awesome ball. I'm a little worried about 15 West, about the distance on 15 West now with the way the guys hit the ball. I mean, it's, it's they got to do something to get some length back in those. I don't know if they could take it back more until those woods back there or something, but it seems like it's There's little, a lot of
1: room like, back there to take the key back. For...
0: It is harder if you, like some of the, most of these guys that I saw this week at the Honda could just blow it over the, the creek. You know, and there's room there to hit it. And if you move back, now you have the same shot that we all have. And it gets tight down there. You want that shot down there where it could run. That's what makes it
2: difficult when they tighten up the fairway. And, you know, you got to, you know, you got to hit them. For these guys, I guess, a more exacting four or five on or something. And, you know, just bring it down to the bottom.
1: But that green is pretty good protection in and of itself.
2: You know, uh, we were playing there. I don't know. It was like 20 years ago, and it was in in the winter, so the tees were up, and the wind was howling. I mean, it was blowing 25, 30 miles an hour. So everybody goes, "Oh, what are you going to hit?" You know, hybrids were around. They were like, "You know, hit a four iron, hit a five or whatever." I go, "Forget it, man. This is my chance and my opportunity to win yeah. Dakota, the creek." I'm I'm taking driver out and I'm I'm driving it over the creek, and I was like, "You can't make it over the creek." I go, "Hey, just just watch this," and I blew it over the creek. I got a, I got a, about ten, fifteen yards over the creek.
0: Awesome that'd be able to do that. that Gilmore crazy. likes to fly it over that creek from time to time. Oh my And there God. was that,
1: that that story about Mickey Mantle doing it. And by the time they ended up getting into the clubhouse, he had driven it into uh, whose backyard was that over there on the left? Freddie Corcoran. Corcoran. Freddie, Cor- Freddie, Corcoran. Freddie Corcoran's backyard, yeah. A driving
2: savant. yeah. I mean he has gotten longer actually as he's uh he's been at Winkfoot. And he can hit it left to right, right to left. I mean, his driver is just amazing.
1: Yeah, he's a good player too. I mean, he drives fifteen east and holds the green. That's you know. Yeah, I
0: mean that's amazing.
1: It's hard enough to do with a nine iron. Hold that green.
0: You know, uh, we talked about thirteen east. It's harder to hit the green in two than in one. What do you think? Yeah.
2: Of- there is literally very little miss there. I think, you know, deep right in that grass, you know, with the right lie, it's not bad.
0: Otherwise, not good.
1: Yeah, pin high left and right are trouble. Schwartz trouble.
0: What's the funniest thing you saw at Wingfoot either while you were the president or some big event or when you were a young member, what's the funniest thing you've seen Did over fi- 30 or 40 years?
1: Which is a hard question because a lot of the funniest things the membership has seen there have been delivered by you. So, <laughs> you. Can't count I don't those.
2: know uh you know what the funniest thing is. Um you know, I will tell you one story when I was caddying there, I was uh, caddying I can't remember his name, Bob, but uh he was a, kind of an old doctor and he had one of those carts with this stick, not the uh not uh, like a steering, you know, not a steering wheel, it was like a stick steering wheel. I think <laughs> a three
1: wheeler. Is it Doc yeah.
2: Zimmerman? It might have been Zimmerman. The old guy, yeah, yeah he he had had a three wheeler. We're on 14 West, and again, I'm probably in seventh grade, and he uh, he says, "Oh, I left my head cover on the tee. Take the cart back and <laughs> get the head cover." So I'm driving this thing. I don't even know what I'm doing. You know, it's got a stick cover and stuff. And the last thing I heard before I launched into the Shamrock Trap from the top was "No!" <laughs> and I'm airborne going downhill into this trap i go thrown out of the cart the cart like flips over and he came down you could just see him like just being you know so worried that he's just you know some caddy had just died in his golf cart in a trap but i was all right i i, I got a pretty good uh, payday on the loop that day
0: you know we've had you many many times as master of ceremonies and i don't know anybody that's come close tom neaporty was great as a master of ceremonies mike is great he prepares well. How do you do that? I mean, you just have a natural Johnny Carson kind of shtick. I know you prepare, but tell us how you what goes into that and then how you deliver that in front of 250 lunkheads had either too much steak or too much vodka.
2: You know, I'm not a great joke guy. I don't really like if people start telling jokes. I don't have any jokes. You know, I mean, I am a good person to goof on other people. Um, so that's what I kind of try to center around. And. Actually, when Mike Gilmore was first there, he, you know, when he, we hired him, he was kind of struggling in front of people when he first got there. He was just, you know, he was fine, but you know, he didn't. He was nervous and he was in front of a lot of people. I don't know if he was really doing that at Piping Rock so much and stuff. And I said, "You're getting this wrong. You're trying to talk about golf and stuff. You've got to insult the members." <laughs> He's like, "I can't insult the members. i These are these are my people. I'm not like, you know, I'm the head pro. I go, no, you got it all wrong." These people love to be insulted. They want to hear other people be insulted. So I mean, now he's turned into you know he's he's amazing. So, Don
1: Rickles, yeah,
2: uh, he, he's he's amazing with the people's golf game. I can't remember who it was. Like he was going through his his people the the last nibs and what he got to one guy. He goes, really? Why bother
0: playing? And <laughs> 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 hey, you know that guy
1: went into work on Monday. Oh
0: my God! Told everybody, and then and with an you know, the, the ear,
1: ear a smile, yeah.
0: Yeah, it was the topic of the conversation. I, I
1: made it. I made it. I made, I it, made, it, made
2: it. Somebody talked about me at Wingfoot.
0: <laughs> oh my goodness gracious! So, uh, do you have a favorite golf course, east or west at Wingfoot? Do you prefer one over the other?
2: It's different, different place, you know. I mean, different type of game and stuff. I, I, I think I like the west better than the east. You know, generally, you know, when the when the fairways are firm enough on the west, so you know, you can hit the fairway and kind of carry it a little bit. And the thing that's nice about the east. Since, you know if you're driving the ball well you're hitting 7 or 8 iron in and you know that's not necessarily the case of what uh, on the west the west you know especially as you get a little shorter i mean you, you know you hit 4 or 5 iron in a lot of, a lot of the part four or so
1: how it's lucky are we yeah. to have those choices though yeah can't decide which of the two courses I mean, is better
2: you know you look at you look at the you know the quality of the golf there you know and the the membership and everything you know, and uh Mike Davis from the USGA said to me uh when we were talking about the Open one time he goes, "I don't know if they're the best golf courses in the world, but it is the best golf club in the world." The West is a number what do they always give it number 8 or 9 or something like that in Golf Digest. Yeah, that's, seven I think or 8. Yeah. yeah, I think that's underrated versus some of the other picks they make that which are
1: It's very you know, subjective.
0: Yeah,
2: and it's like the other choices are they're not championship U.S. Open golf courses. I mean, they might be historic and, you know, great uh, experience to play, but they're not a championship golf course. So I, I think that kind of takes precedent over, you know, uh, history. It's hard I mean, to uh, take
1: that list really seriously. Like it would be hard to take the 10 best movies ever made seriously. The yeah. One, yeah. Well, I'll tell you a out story. Out. When you we can't were, have uh, a best without a second best, right?
2: When I was president, the East went to like number 90 on the Golf Digest list. So, you know, we were talking to some people around and I was asking some people in the industry and stuff. And um, he says, if you want your rate, you know, if you want your ratings to go up, you just gotta take care of the Raiders. So, yeah. you know, Colin basically, when the Raiders showed up, we gave him, you know, free caddy. We gave him uh the you know lunch um and all this and all, you know, we just took care of it, you know, and made it a you know really good experience that offered, you know, wanna play 36? Go ahead, play 36. One year we went from 90 to 60. Yeah. Is that like, is that because the conditions were better or, you know, you know, the greens were firmer or
1: something? I mean, come on. The conditions were better for the Raiders. Yes, the Raiders had a better experience.
0: Well, we also did one thing too, because I learned from you, Billy, is we made the Raiders play the East course. We, we told yeah, them that's we true. Had yeah. to come and play the East course, because they all wanted to play the West course. Okay, yeah. we the West course second.
2: Yeah, that, that's right, Bobby. That's true.
0: Yeah, because they weren't playing the East Course, they would, and they didn't have an opinion of the East Course because they were there and they left. The uh, that's really interesting. The but here's the thought: if you guys know a little bit about Marion and uh, Oakmont and Wingfoot and Baltusrol, you want to call the lower the upper. I don't care. the The one they've had the most championships on is the lower. I think. Which one would you want to play every day, Billy? You said West Course is your favorite one. of those four, would you want to play Oakmont every day? Not I mean, me. You know,
2: Oakmont, Oakmont's really hard golf course. I mean, they they really embrace that. You know, at Wingfoot, when the rough gets too high and the greens are too firm or whatever, people complain about the, the rough being too high and the, you know it's unfair and all that stuff. But you know, in Oakmont, you know nobody complains because that's basically part of their culture. So it's, you know, that'd be a that'd be a hard golf course to play every day.
0: And hey, there's five they, trees.
2: <clears throat> yeah, they take, take some of the
1: enjoyment care. out of the game. Yeah. you want to have yeah, some I mean, success out there
2: you know i mean i get it when it's around the open like i wasn't working in oh six and i mean playing the west course before the open in oh six the month or half before because they actually grew the rough up so they could cut it back down yeah you'd hit your driver and it would be like if it was offline at all you'd be like Lost. for God's sake sit i mean because the rough you know for a you know, even playing with Jim Graham and Tom Lynette Lina, Lina and stuff, the rough was just, you know, you, you had to punch out. I mean, you just, it's amazing, even in this last line, when you saw, like, Matt Wolf and Bryce and DeChambeau, the way they can get through the rough. I mean, yeah. even with, like, a, a seven iron. I mean, they just plow the speed of the, and the, the ascent of the club just powers through. And me, I'm a flat and draw guy. I, I mean, you get the rough off at a certain point. I, I'm not kidding. I'm not getting a lot of air on that ball. I don't mind... You know, this whole thing about, like, people get upset when it's under par. Well, I don't mind that. If you, if that's what happens, that's what happens. If you, you, Thank you. you, you. If that's the score. That's that's fine. By the way, I don't want to see people struggle. I want to see people play good. Yeah. You know? I don't think it's a great product to see people, like, you know, you know, flubbing it out of the rough, um, you know, or not being able to hold a little green, you know. But yeah. I don't think that's as, you know, fun to watch. That's why, that's why, that's,
1: that's why the Masters
2: is great, because – they're hard shots, but people can make them.
1: Yeah, there's no rough. You're
2: you're
0: absolutely. What's
1: the, the worst thing in the world is to play uh, golf and lose your ball, you know, five yards off the fairway in the rough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The seventy. Well, that's the worst.
0: The hardest
2: part about Wingfoot is because that's the part that's watered. If you're going to hit the rough on a bad day, you got to be deep you know, in be fifteen yards off the fairway, or else yeah. you know, you're dead. Yep.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah, the the 74 open was a good example of what you're talking about, Billy. It was seven inches just about everywhere, not just a foot off the fairway. It was just thick every place, except where the galleries would walk it down. But if you were 5, 10, 15 yards right or left, you know, you really, the, they were embarrassed. These guys, I mean, I saw yeah. Gary players shank it. Uh, who wants to see that?
2: Yeah, that was yeah, gone too far. They were like devastated by that like for a while after. But I guess that was a rebound from the what was it, the year before Johnny Miller killed uh Oakland Hills. Is that what uh they mm-hmm. were trying to
0: do? Yeah. Yeah, I think the eighty four open and the two thousand six open, those both being in June were were fair tests and they were not you Know killers, of course. J- the PGA was in August and, and Davis Love went way under, but that's because it rained every day, so you could fire at the pens. Right? You know, we had uh, a
1: problem at the Shinnecock Open that year, too, right? Didn't they wreck one of the greens? Uh, yeah, that's yeah,
0: that uh, The part three on the front, par three, yeah,
1: couldn't down. yeah, seven, yeah. I think.
0: The part three at Shinnecock would be like 13 East if you made it 13 or 14. You couldn't put 13 East if it was 13 or 14.
2: Bob, did you yeah. chatty in the S74 Open?
0: I did. I caddied for Bob Golby.
2: Oh, really? Nice.
0: I caddied in the 72 U.S. Women's Open for a woman named Mary Mills, who had won in 61, I think. But I remember you talking about those short shots. She had a five-wood into one East four days in a row. Driver, (laughs) five-wood. Imagine that. It's amazing. Like me. We're talking about the uh, Honda Classic this past weekend where uh, uh, Kirk was playing against Eric Cole. And and he had I know I saw a number of because he was on TV a lot. He, he in that last round, he hit it out of bounds pretty much and the tree saved him. He was in the that that sawgrass, those bushes, that palmetto bushes where you, you know, yeah, you have I saw to. Get that stitches. Yeah. If you put your hand in there, you have to get stitches, right? At uh, some of these courses. And he managed to make a bogey on on that final playoff hole. He hit it this far from the palm tree and managed to make birdie.
2: Yeah, yeah. When I saw that drive, I said, "Oh, the guy's lost the tournament."
0: Yep, blocked.
2: So, you know, he actually got a nice. He, he had a nice shot up the fairway for, for buying that tree. How many
1: garbage's and, would and, he and get it, there, Billy? And it stopped him from hitting it in the water again.
0: <laughs> so, what does he get there? A palmy. Uh Did he hit the tree?
1: <laughs> he gets a barky if he hit the tree. He gets a seve if he's it went rough to rough and one putted, um, and a birdie. Yeah. Plus he's du- plus he doubles eric at that point once Billy, I don't that know if you
2: remember this round but we were playing it was me and you against clow and chip archer a few years ago it was in the fall and uh you know i think the front we we lost like two and hour or something like that it wasn't a lot of stuff going on the, there's the no backs, shame in that
1: nicholas and palmer would lose to those two guys
2: yeah clow on the back nine shoots like i think it was like 35 or something like that and like and all of a sudden, we get sit down, and Chip goes, yeah. Chip's going, uh, and he's kind of going through the things. And I don't play; I haven't played with him a lot, you know, a ton. Like I don't know the sheet that well. And he goes, he goes, yeah, yeah. Give Steve two hundred and forty dollars. I'm like, I looked at, I looked at you. I go, what happened? He goes, oh, I forgot to tell you, I doubled the sheet on the back.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yep. Playing the sheet against Cloy can be dangerous. Playing anything against Chip it can be dangerous. Yeah. <clears throat> As yeah. Sal used to say, "Numero uno, bandido."
0: Oh gosh, yeah. So we the, the, we were talking about the Honda because of the Tequesta Country Club logo, and Eric Cole is a really nice young man. You know, his mother played in the '72 Open at Wingfield. Yeah, right? I remember
1: her. And his father won on tour too.
0: That's right. Yeah, she was kind of attractive back then, wasn't she, babe? She was. That was the story. There's Joanne Carner, who just murdered the ball, and maybe she had just recently turned pro was a story and so was um Laura Ball. There is no other story that came out prior to the open starting than those two. There was no other story. Sandra Palmer wasn't a story. Maybe Judy Rankin, not not a story, but she ended up coming in second, Neil Caddy for her.
2: You know, uh Laura uh I mean Joanne Corner was playing with us in the open and uh she looks at me at one point and she goes, please these girls can't handle the distance in this course. So you know, there's only a couple of us that can, you know, can
0: win <laughs> She said that, right?
2: Yeah.
0: And I think Paul... it
2: wasn't like the East wasn't one like, you know, you don't think of the East Golf course like you know, being like, you know
0: big. A man-sized kind of course. course. Yeah. Well, it's it shows you how advanced their their game has. They've gotten much longer and straighter. But yeah. that, Laura Ball and Joanne Carner are the only ones that could get even. With the bunker on one east or maybe a little beyond that everybody was way short of it horrible also she jumped out of her shoes when she hit it because she wasn't very heavy she was maybe one 110 pounds and she came up on her toes but oh that's awesome all right so shifting gears because we do shift a lot here here we go i'm going to give you guys some quotes because i know billy you like uh, movies like billy reagan and i here's the quote what's the movie quote intelligence Nothing has caused the human race so much trouble as intelligence. Where was that said? And what movie? You got
1: me. It sounds familiar. Hey.
0: You don't have it, Billy Regan. I don't. Thelma Ritter said it in Rear Window when she's after she's giving uh, Jimmy Stewart the rubdown. She was the uh, therapeutic nurse that came in at the beginning of the movie and. She's wondering why she, he and Grace Kelly don't get married. You know? Okay.
1: Thelma Here's Ritter.
0: another one for you. This is easy. In what show or movie? The Mild-Mannered Reporter. Superman. Yeah. You got it. Okay.
1: Who came to Earth with powers and ability far beyond those of mortal men.
0: <laughs> I'm going to give you another easy one. Quote, drinking don't bother my memory. If it did, I wouldn't drink. I couldn't. You I, see, I forget, I forget how good it was. Then where'd I be? Start drinking water again. <laughs> you remember that one, Billy O'Keefe?
1: No, I don't.
0: Billy, Riggins. I remember
1: it, but I can't put my finger on who said That's it. That's in
0: my, you know, my favorite tab and tab not with Bogart.
1: Oh yeah, yeah, Walter Brennan. See,
0: my
2: uh, my wife would do well with am I'm, I'm not a, I'm not a great old oldies guy. She still my. watched like Turner Classic Movie Channel, like. You yeah, so watch oh, it every here,
1: night. Here's one you should get. You'll have nothing and like it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> know that one. <laughs> at night. Yeah. yeah. How, about, how about this one? You will know this one, Billy O'Keefe. Quote, look at me, Leo. That's shorty. Yep. John Travolta. I love that. He kept saying oh, he'd wait, say wait, wait. To Leo, the dry cleaner, when he All busted right. into his room, look at me. I am looking. At it. I said, look at me.
1: I'm the guy telling you how it is.
2: When, the movie, when he was driving around in the minivan? Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Dennis Farina's great in that movie. He's uh, he's great in every movie. Yeah. When he hooks up with the, uh, with the movie producer guys. He's <clears> like, <throat> what is that? The Fiat of handguns?
0: <laughs> so you, you must be
1: one of those, what do you call it? Uh, fast on the draw guys? <laughs>
0: <laughs> Farina says, let me explain something to you. Momo is dead. <laughs> it means that everything he had now belongs to Jimmy Cat. About the elephant in the room. What about Caddyshack, Billy? You know more about Caddyshack than Bill Murray, I think.
2: No, I, I was funny. I was with a caddy yesterday and he found out of my brother's uh, Danny Noonan and he was spitting out quotes left and right, left and right. When I first worked on Wall Street, I mean, so that was like 1982. So Caddyshack, it was, you know, it actually grew in popularity as time went on. And I started working Wall Street in 1982. All these guys were doing Caddyshack quotes. And I was like, I didn't know anything about it. I'd seen the movie once. Um, and I didn't have, these guys had all the quotes down. So, I mean, I'm not as knowledgeable. And I know, you know, just talking to my brother about things and stuff, some of the inside stuff, but I'm not as knowledgeable about, you know, every single quote in the movie as, as
0: some are. How did they pick them? how did they pick your brother? Well, you know, he had
2: gotten some exposure because he had done The Great Santini, yep. um, which was you know a pretty popular movie at the time. He actually got nominated for Academy Award. So he got a little he got some visibility already. And, um, you know, he caddied at Wakefoot with us, you know, as a kid. So he had, a you know, he had a golf rap. He had a little bit of a golf swing. Um, you know, And my brother was like a really good interviewer. You know, he really sold himself well. I, I, I used to hear him on the phone, kind of pitching himself to people and, you know, producers and casting agents. And he was really good. So, and he got along well with Brian Doran Murray and Billy Murray when he uh, when they interviewed him. Um, so I, I think it was just he was the right place, right time, and, um, you know, the, the right guy, you know, the right, right look and you know, on the right age and everything else.
1: Does so, he play golf?
2: He, uh, it was funny, we played as a kid. Um, You know, and we'd play on caddy day, which was awesome at Wingfoot back in the day. I mean, you could play 36 holes at Wingfoot as a caddy. I mean, nobody cared. Um, So he played a little bit. So he had a little bit of a swing. And when he got the job, he actually, uh, my uh, father's law firm partner, Bob McCarthy, was a member of Wingfoot. And he asked the board if he could come and prepare for the movie, you know, before the movie. And he was at Wingfoot like six weeks Every day, hitting balls, taking lessons, and playing a lot with Joey Diaporti. Um, you know, to he, he, say he, Joey would be the guy. He said Joey is the guy who basically taught him the swing. And if you look at his swing, it was a really popular move at the time. He, he had basically the reverse C swing. He had the Johnny Miller swing, which they were kind of teaching at the time. And Johnny got him, you know. I mean, Joey got him like wired on that swing. And you know, if you look at the at, at the uh, the movie. You know there weren't a lot of great swings in that movie. I mean, Chevy Chase had you know a little bit of a move, but nobody else really had a swing like my brother. My brother had a pretty good swing in the movie, but um, he didn't really play very much after. That. He actually gave me that the uh, Caddyshack hat. I sent Bobby a picture of that. He gave me the the PGA uh, Tommy Armour irons he used in the movie, which were blades, and that's what I was when I started playing golf in the, uh, the mid late '80s again. Um, I was using those irons, which were impossible to hit for me. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, he, uh, he didn't play for a while. And then they started, you know, probably about 15 years ago, they started asking him to play back in like celebrity tournaments. You know, they had these celebrity, you know, pro-ams before tournaments or just celebrity tournaments, you know, on the their parody. own,
1: yeah.
2: you know, the one up in uh, the one up in Oregon, he's playing in a couple of times, um, you know, these those off-weekend kind of celebrity tournaments he had. He started playing in those. Um, and he, he got the game back in. He's probably the slowest guy I've ever played with. Uh-oh. <laughs> he got into uh Zen golf. And I, I told him at one point, I said, I don't know much about Zen Zen golf, but you gotta pick it up a little bit. <laughs> we played at Wingfoot once, and I was playing with him and Tom Lynette, and Tom Linette said, Who's my fourth? I said, My brother's the third and the fourth. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. looking at yeah. the 11th tee and i'm playing one day and that was when your brother was practicing and he said can i play a few holes to you and we did i don't think he knows me that well but we played and i said well what are you doing he told me about getting picked for the movie i said really what's it going to be about at that point he said it's about a caddy who rises up and wins the masters or something like that <laughs> but what you taught me was they. uh the way they built that script day to day. And, and the genius was one of the geniuses was Brian Doyle Murray, right?
2: Yeah, no, he was, my brother says he, you know, him and Harold Ramis were the two guys that kind of really kind of created it, but there was so much, you know, improvisation between Bill Murray and Ted Knight and those guys like just on scene kind of changes, you know, everybody was out of their mind. Um, So there was so much going on, like live on the scenes. He said that, you know, it just kind of, you know, some of the stuff was wasn't written down. It just was created on on site. You see him in uh, there was a uh, he was in a Super Bowl commercial for uh, it was a Caddyshack. Oh, yeah. That was great. yeah and
0: a, was a great. Mick
2: Lowe, it was a Love commercial with Serena Williams. Pretty cool.
0: No, he did very well. That uh I, I uh, do. You have a favorite line from the movie?
2: I actually saw one, saw one the other day. So having some people over on Sunday, you know, you might want to come by, mow my lawn. <laughs> 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 a guy like you could probably use a few bucks.
0: Yeah, that was a great scene where where uh, the judge and the wife come back to the house and he's oh my God. the judge is bent with Lacey. He's done a couple um, celebrity appearances,
2: like signature things with her. She still looks really good.
0: With all the par fours at Wingfoot, there's a bundle of money or something important on the line. What's the one you pick where you got to make at least a par or better, a par four?
1: 28
2: of them. 28 of them. I think one east is probably a, would be my go-to. I mean, I
1: think that's one of the most
2: forgiving holes there. It's a receptive green, big wide entrance, you know, not a, not a super hard tee shot, reasonable iron in. I think, you know, I could make birdie a par there if,
0: if I had to.
1: Did you say one east? Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that.
0: You said that, Billy. Billy's also keen because once he comes out of the locker room and they're playing the East Course, he's thinking Hogan, Hogan, Hogan. You know, he's like put it in the fairway, put it on the green, two putts. He he can he can bust a few irons up too and get the Hogan. My first thought
1: coming out of the locker room is more like uh, related to Tanya Harding. I think about standing outside that door waiting for Chip to come out.
0: (laughs) Hitting him on the ankle. See if
1: I can uh, slow him down a little bit.
0: Why don't you get Chip as a partner?
1: Only if I throw the balls up right.
0: <laughs> yeah, we were talking about with somebody, and you wouldn't normally pick 15 East, even though it's the shortest par four on the East course. You wouldn't pick that one to make a par on, right?
2: No, it's for me. It's like you got to hit the fairway there. You know, it's that's a hard. That's a hard. Hole yeah, you got to
1: the then bump. you got to hit the green. You got to right get it all up. the way back to the hole.
2: The green's yeah. like a bowling ball, you know, I think, I think, I think the, the Met open, it was like the seventh or eighth hardest hole. I believe golf courses. So
1: I think the, I think the lines and the reads on that green change from day to day.
0: Very hard putting green too. I agree. Yeah. yeah. I I think of all the holes there, I've hit the ball in the fairway. I've hit it on the green and I've come away with less pars by yeah. three putting or maybe worse. It's mm.
1: always hard to get it close on your second shot on that. I mean, how you come up short all the time. Or, it's, it's hard can, to get it close. Talk
2: about it as being really hard. That I don't find as hard for whatever reason. Is one west. The only the only part of one west I, I really feel intimidated by is when it's back right in that swale by the edge of the trap. There, I mean, I think that's really a hard green,
0: a hard, hard five think, when they do that.
2: Else, I don't see. I don't think it's that bad.
1: No, I think it's easy to understand. It's sometimes difficult to execute, but it's not it doesn't uh it's not mysterious yeah. 15, 15 it's like which way which yeah, way does this to go
2: yeah yeah that like back right pin on 15 too if you go a little bit past the hole it kind of goes zoom downhill fast yeah. yeah
1: And i think 16 east is a, is a tough green as well
2: i just like the way they um in the renovation they turned 16 east into you know a square ramp up green you know the green's yeah. hard you know, it's a long you enough hit, hole. That, you can yeah. hit a hybrid into it, you know, and still kinda of ha- have a little, you know, run up in front if you, you know, if you have a
0: you're coming out of the left rough or something.
1: Yeah. And if you don't yeah, if you don't fair. have length, you can run something onto the yeah. green if you can't fly it there.
0: Yeah, you gotta get it somewhere up that slope off the tee on 16 East to get a shot at it. If you're way before that, then that fairway bunker comes into play in your second shot. And then where are you?
1: In that fairway. <laughs>
2: Who are the guys that uh the people have either caddy for or played with what the guys you've interviewed i mean you know i heard uh, bobby talking about marty playing with arnold palmer i mean caddy for arnold palmer were there other uh you know guys that uh people at caddy for or played with at wingfoot that uh, were big celebs
1: i played with arnie i played with arnie and chi chi both oh really at, but but not at wingfoot at the desert inn which, uh, which rivals Wingfoot only on the level that after the round of golf is over, there's at least as much to do. Yeah.
0: Well, you were at Wingfoot, Billy, when probably multiple times Bing Crosby came, but one day I did play with Bart and I played with um, Bing Crosby, Harry, and Nathaniel. And I remember this like it was yesterday. We were on 7 West. And, you know, Claude Harmon, great guy, but he wasn't a really early early guy and we were out there early because you go out early and I I saw that Claude's cart was coming out because he had that three-wheeler cart with that one steer and he's coming across and I'm like "Uh oh somebody must be out here and we look over on five west and I said no that's probably who it is and then we come up to 10 and they come behind us it was Bing Crosby and his two sons that was pretty cool And he said why don't we play and there was four of us and three of them, and we said, "Well, we'll play this hole, but we won't play the next hole because we'll get or dads will get thrown out of the club right. playing yeah. a seven some, let alone five some or six and seven seven some. Forget it." But uh, when I was I used uh, my
1: uncle's line. We're we're, we're not a seven some. We're a threesome and they're a foursome. They're letting us through, and then we're letting them through.
0: <laughs> just took nine holes.
2: <laughs> when I was the president, I told Colin uh, Burns I said, "Look, if any celebrities want to play." here and you're like trying to work something out to play with him, I got first look. So uh he calls me one day and he goes, you know, Mark Messier wants to play. So I'm like, done. I'm a big hockey fan. I was a big Ranger fan. So, so let's play. So we played It was me, Mark Messier, a friend of his and Rick Joyce and Mark wanted to play for some money. And I was playing pretty good at the time. I was a four or five handicap and Rick was probably about the same. And we, I mean, he was like super big competitor. He was, you know, he was a good golfer. It wasn't great, but he was really solid obviously with the hockey players can hit the ball pretty good. And uh, we had we had a lot of money on 18 West. And I had like a five-iron in right center of the fairway. And I, I, as I hit the thing, it just sounded so good and just flies in the air. As I'm turning,
0: I go, Messier, you can't have our money. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I played with Robbie Kueger there one day. A friend asked me to take him and another guy that was I'd taken Jim Morrison's place on the doors and I said, just make sure you give these guys the, the dress code. You know, <laughs> these, these rock stars. <clears throat> and these guys showed up completely within the rules, but there was no question that they were rock stars. <laughs> I mean, leather vests, right? stuff like that. Uh, not so much Robbie as the other guy, but I found out Robbie Krieger grew up at uh, Riviera and I, and I asked him, you know, did you played there your whole life you said yeah was your, your father was a member yeah so even through the 60s and 70s yeah like yikes probably turned <laughs> oh, a yeah. head or two back then yeah charlie
0: daniel showed up on one west in blue jeans and um cowboy boots billy he might have been around it was in somewhere in the 70s and that was the most off, he wasn't anywhere near the dress code, but no one was going to say anything. He went out and played. Yeah,
2: uh, I was hitting balls at uh, MacArthur yesterday, and uh, the back range, and all of a sudden, like, card pulls up, and guy gets out, and he walks over, and it's John Cook. I said, oh, John Cook. Oh, I said, you know, he's got still got a pretty good swing. He's hitting it pretty good. But five minutes later, card pulls up, and John Rom gets out with his uh, the swing coach and his caddy, and they start up play and play. They start hitting balls. And, that, you know, John, I guess, is down for the uh, Seminole member, um, uh, pro, pro member. And um, so I was like, I'm sitting there and all of a sudden like, you know, you don't want to miss, start missing <laughs> irons in front of these, you know, these pros and stuff. So I started like hitting like pitching wedges, like, you know, little bunt pitching wedges like I was going for the shirt pin. And uh, <laughs> I, I said to the guy, one of the guys that runs the club, I said, pick out the person who doesn't belong in this picture. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah.
0: Uh, and you
2: see John Rahm, you know, everybody talks about his legs. He's just a big guy. He's, he's big, big in his shoulder, big head. I mean, he really, he looks like a linebacker.
0: His legs remind me of Nicholas's legs in the 70s when he was in his prime where he had these big old tree trunk legs. Yeah, big tree and trunks, yeah. Short swing incredible speed. Must have been a sound. Yeah, he's
1: got a short backswing.
0: Cam Young was on our driving range over here. And he's a member of Tequesta. And um, it was right. It was actually in the fall. It was after the British Open, and I I just leave these guys alone. And I watched him, and he had this divot pattern. It was just like a little bit of grass was missing every time he hit it. Wasn't, and every ball was going dead straight. There was no curve to it. And I said to him, "How does Cam Smith make par from behind the road hole bunker?" On the seventy-first hole of the British Open, because they were head-to-head, right? And that—that yep. uh, that was the decide. That was a Budweiser turning point of the game. And he said to me, he had a four-degree angle on his putter, so his putter was bent back a little bit. He came back with that answer right away, so he sort uh, of had it like a chipper. And instead of putting, it looked like he was putting it, but he had this little chipping kind of where he got a little bit of a bounce a little
2: inside
0: Yeah, inside. Damn, young
2: talented kid.
0: He's got. He's a winner. What a nice kid! Oh. Too, everybody knows. Is, tells us.
2: You know when when people talk about the live, that's the one guy that I'm like. I'm not sure what he was doing doing that. I mean because he Cam Smith being. Um, yeah, I agree. Obviously, it's a lot of money, but your career was like right in front of you. you. Just won your first major. You know you're gonna make a ton of money in endorsements and everything else, and you can you know you can make history first. You know you and. and just like, you know, Ty, happened to Tiger Woods, you made history, made a lot of money. You're going to make history. And make, you know, not that he's going to be Tiger Woods, but he's, he's obviously a winner, you know, great putter and just very good in a competition. It just seemed crazy to me for him to go to live just because I, mean, I know it's a lot of money, but you know, it's, yeah. But it, has, it, has it got,
1: what's the shelf life of live. That's still to be determined, right?
2: Yeah. It was funny. I was in the bar yesterday at the club and, uh, the live was on TV for that. It was like
0: the first time i would seen anything from the live.
1: I've never wow. seen anything. Yeah. The Cam Smith
0: thing perplexed me too, because of all the other guys there, I get it, but he just won the open championship, which means he gets a lot of preference in all the majors. And certainly for the open for a long time, he, he could use that. And plus
1: a surge in popularity that comes with it.
0: Yeah. Right what are you going to be remembered for uh, somebody who won that event was it um Ian Poulter won it maybe I heard no yesterday huh? no it was uh Charles uh Charles Howell the third won it okay yeah as I keep
1: saying who cares and who cares like really who cares who wins that stuff it's it, it's you know you got God f- bless yeah, them for making they, all the money but the bad bad as I
2: have there's not a lot of like great stories there you know I mean you know, the one story that's kind of interesting is, uh, you know, Peter Uline, he goes from like, being off the tour to winning $14 million last year. I mean, obviously, uh, you know, a good opportunity for him. But
1: Sure. I, I, there's no denying it's a good opportunity for the guys who do it. But to the general public, it's like he won what? What? You know, the Masters, the U.S. Open. No, no. no. He won. What did he win?
2: yeah, you it like, abbreviated yeah it. you're still probably can
0: play in the majors right so
1: yeah you can still play in the majors if you qualify
0: yeah like yeah. sergio is going to be able to play in the masters i don't know what else he'll qualify for um and i don't know how long is his, his uh, freebies run out from winning the masters it's usually like five years or three five years yeah yeah I, what, but so the masters
1: is an invitational so they can do whatever they want really
0: Billy, you're Jay Monahan. What would you do about this? What would you do?
1: I mean, I
2: think you have to have kind of consistency. I don't understand necessarily some of the hostility. For me, there's a business aspect to it, you know. And if, hey, look, if I'm working at Morgan Stanley and I'm making $2 million, and Goldman Sachs offers me $10 million, I might like Morgan Stanley. There might be more history of Morgan Stanley for me. I've been there for 20 years. Or I'm going to Goldman Sachs. So, I mean, for some people that, you know, where the money is so compelling, I don't think you can get that hostile about it. It's like, but I also think, you know, it kind of produced a couple of good results for the PGA tour and the additional money and the additional focus on, you know, some of the, uh, some of the additional tournaments. It kind of, you know, upped the game on uh, the PGA side somewhat. So I think that's, you know, that's a positive. You know, I would just, if I was Jay Monahan, I wouldn't really worry about the hostility. I would just focus on your own product. Exactly. You know, somebody want, and if somebody wants to come back from the live, and you know, play on the PGA tour because you know they don't really like to live, you know, no. he either qualifies because you know he doesn't have the standing that he should, or you know, goes back to the Q school or whatever you have to do to you know qualify, or you get an exemption because you do, you know, you're, you're that good, and people are saying, hey, Cam Smith, back, you're back on the tour. I mean, I I don't know it would be, you know anything more than that I just don't see the business model or the product for the, you know, this whole NASCAR model with teams and people sponsoring buying teams for sponsoring and stuff. I just don't think it really fits golf. I, I you know, I, I I'm not that interested in it. So.
0: Yeah. I haven't really thought about the advantages of teams. Is it for gambling reasons? I don't know. It- yeah, it is. I
2: think it, there's some component of that.
0: Yeah. But
1: it's, again, it's more like an exhibition thing. The, the PGA tour, the NFL, I mean, what if Japan offered Aaron Judge, you know, $900 million to come play over there? He can go, he can take the $900 million, but who cares how well he does over there?
2: Yeah, it doesn't have any impact on the PGA. I don't think really they lost anybody that really put a dent in the product. I, I think yeah. I,
1: I, even losing the players because it's the it's the product, not the players. Because yeah. the NFL has been this What good. How long do those guys last in the NFL? Five years, seven years, eight years? It's turnovers all the time. The league remains the same.
0: Yeah, you're right. There was uh, Nicholas was on TV yesterday, and he really did a sales job. Actually, with Dan Hicks's help to the PGA Tour, and said, "Look, you can't. But this, you you're guaranteed that we're going to have the PGA in, uh, or the Honda, or whoever what it's called in Palm Beach." good, we have a tournament here next year, even though Honda's going away with or without a sponsor. But you can't put two elevated events before and two after. You know, you've got to put a little breather in there.
2: I was surprised how few people played just because so many of them are, are local.
1: They're if local, you, yeah. If you
2: had the opportunity to drive 10 minutes from your house and play in a golf tournament, you would. And it's also a, an opportunity because not every, the competition isn't high to make money and points, you know. yeah. Um, and Chris Kirk, I thought, played awesome, but, you know, Obviously, it wasn't as intense competition as there, uh, was
0: it wasn't out of the But
1: so. you'd be supporting your own neighborhood.
0: Yeah. Ricky Fowler shows up there. It would have been like Elvis hadn't left the building because everybody would have watched him. There was so, nobody close. Billy Horschel isn't close to Ricky Fowler as kind of charming, charismatic type yeah. of guy. But they gave him a lot of TV coverage because he was the next best thing. Yeah. Oh, that's great. So eight par threes here. Let's finish up with this. we got a few minutes left. you got eight par threes at Wingfoot. Which one do you choose to make a par better?
1: If you have Three. to make a par better. Yep. Everybody's going to say that.
0: Threes. Do you had a hole in one at Wingfoot?
2: I have not. I had one at um, Indian Creek in Miami and one at the Tuxedo uh, in uh, Rockland, but uh, I've never had one at Wingfoot. I've seen yeah. a bunch. I've seen... I was with Bart McDade when he's had two. I've been with Neil Christie when he's had two. I was with Matt Meyer when he had one. I mean, I've seen a bunch of them at
1: Winkley. Wow. seeing somebody it. twice, though. So that's pretty good. Yeah, it's
2: amazing, right? we got to play with Billy, Billy. Yeah. <laughs> Lucky charm.
1: I'm penciling in all, all over my calendar now.
2: Did you hear that story when, was um, it, uh, Jimmy Thompson was playing 13 East and he had a hole-in-one and Neil and Robbie uh, Christie we're playing through. So they let him throw out when they made the hole in one and Neil stood up and got a hole in one
1: back to back, go back on, back.
0: The, go on the channel. Neil, uh, and I were on talking about how that happened. Yeah. They waved him up, Robbie and he played 12. Jimmy had just made a hole in one. And then Neil, Neil got up there and put it in. It was that front right pin too, a real tough spot. He told that story. And I asked Jimmy Thompson, if everything Neil had said in, in the story was true. Neil can recover and recount stuff. Unbelievable. He said every word of it was true. And he said people were coming over from 15 West. Caddies were coming over. Everybody was trying to see what was going on because it was so unusual.
2: Let me tell you, he's I played a lot of golf with him and I played in the nibs with him. I played in the member guests with him. So I say I'm not I'm not quality enough to play in the Anderson with him. If you want to pick one guy to get up and down or to make a putt when you need one, he's he's right up there especially up and down the short game when he's under pressure and stuff. It's really, really good.
0: He thinks that the guy, even today, who had the best short game as a pro, even today was Claude Harmon. That's where he learned his, his short game from Claude Harmon. And that's amazing. Cause Claude hasn't been around for 50 years.
2: Now, anybody who learned a uh, short game from Claude Harmon has an amazing sand game.
1: Sand game. Yep.
2: It's that thumping bunker. It's Steve Cloud, you know, Chris Mara, these guys, all the makes, the Mara makes family. That, makes that sound, you know, and they, they're just so comfortable in the bunkers.
0: So we've got a hundred anniversary. Anything we should change for the next hundred years, Billy?
2: I don't know. I think it's pretty good. You know, it's, it's interesting about Wingfoot too, is um, you know, it, it's a different place than it was even 20 years ago, as far as you know, it's a little busier and there's more people playing and stuff, but it's really been improved. I mean, the conditions of the golf course are improved. The quality of the golf course has been updated and renovated. The amount of money that the club has put it back into the club in the last, you know, 15 years, 20 years, it's, it's really incredible. Not only the amount of money we put in, but the improvements in the locker room, and the uh, the pool, the, you know, the, the employees facilities, the, the, you know, maintenance facility. I mean, the, the pro shop, I mean, the place is just, you know, And I I think that's, you know, really important to always be investing in this place because it's, you know, it is, it's a great place. And when I first became president, I don't think there really had been any really programmatic capital improvements or master plan really Mm -hmm. like about that job. It's just trying to put together like a plan to, then what do we want to do for the next 20 years as far as improving this place?
0: You did a fabulous job creating that master plan. We're going to wrap it here. Thank you so much for joining us. guys. A lot of fun. Yeah. Thanks, Billy. Thanks for joining us today.
1: Billy Hornby. We really
0: appreciate your Double feedback. Indemnity. And
1: please Marky.
0: subscribe to the T-Rider. show and hit Claude the bell Harman. icon so you get notified. Movie classics. Of new episodes.
1: Mark Gable.
0: Hit them hard. Job. And hit them off.
1: That's 36 holes.